Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study the opportunity to go deeper in our faith, understand what we believe, understand what other people believe, be more equipped to share our faith and answer questions. Uh, God, I pray you'd be with the choirs as they're having their uh, practices this evening, as they're getting ready for their Christmas programs here really in just a few weeks. Um, I pray you'd bless their efforts. Uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity um, to to serve you, and God, we realize you've placed us here for a very specific reason, so we pray that, that that reason would be accomplished. We love you this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A book I want to recommend this evening is called World Religions Made Simple. World Religions Made Simple. And basically what it does is it takes just a few pages and covers the world's major religions, uh, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Judaism, Taoism, several New Age movement, atheistic beliefs, and basically just takes about 20 pages for each one, but includes pictures of kind of what they worship, what their focus is. Um, if you're just looking for something to give you kind of a snapshot of different world, major world religions, especially Eastern world religions, this is something that'd be pretty helpful. It's, uh, again, World Religions Made Simple by, by Mark Water, W-A-T-E-R, Mark, Mark Water. Not everybody write that down at once. I'm just kidding. If you're interested in looking at it afterwards, you're welcome to come up and uh, um, take a look at it. All right. Which world religions have we studied so far? Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. That's it. That's it. We did take an extra week and study the Quran a little bit. And so tonight we're studying the other world, major world religion of Judaism, all right? Does anybody know anything about Judaism? Just wonder, have you all ever studied it before? Some? All right. So again, what, the, the ones we have left, Judaism tonight, we're going to do Mormonism, we're going to do Jehovah's Witness, we're going to do Christian science and Scientology, and then we're also going to do a week on Catholicism and try to identify and define that a little bit. So those are the ones that we have left, and then we'll have a week where we just kind of do an overview of all of them again. But let's go ahead, if you have an out, the outline, let's go ahead and dive into the introduction to Judaism. All right, the introduction to Judaism. One of the most challenging aspects of studying Judaism is understanding who is a Jew, all right? It's understanding who is a Jew, because when you start asking this question, there's so many different answers. You can say, are you a Jew? And on one hand, that can be referring to a nationality or, or your, your citizenship or, or your ethnicity. On the other hand, it could refer to your belief system. On the other hand, it could refer to both. So whenever we're talking about Judaism, we have to begin by defining who is actually a Jew. And so let me go ahead and give you these first blanks here. So who is a Jew? Number one, any person whose mother was a Jew. So if you were born and your mother was a Jew, you are automatically a Jew. All right? That's one way that you can be a Jew. Number two, any person who has gone through the formal process of conversion to Judaism. So even if you were not born to a Jewish mother, you can still become a Jew through a formal process of converting to Judaism. Now, one of the things we're going to see as we go through Judaism is that it is similar to some of the other uh, world religions in that they believe in, they are monotheistic. What do we mean by monotheistic? One God. What's the opposite of monotheism? Polytheism, the idea that there are multiple gods. So when, if you remember back what we've already studied, Hinduism and Buddhism, were they monotheistic or polytheistic? Polytheistic. Remember, they have mil, some of them have hundreds of thousands, millions of gods. Islam is closer to Christianity in that they are monotheistic. They believe in one God. Judaism is close in that it is 
monotheistic, one God. But a lot of times there is confusion because those who hold to the religion of Judaism, they value the Old Testament. I mean, they, if you ask them, do you ever read the Bible, what are they going to say? Yes. yes, they read the Bible. The problem is they reject portions of the Bible and they highlight and stress and value a very small portion of the Bible. But when we ask this question, who is a Jew, it's not just about a nationality and it's not just about a religion. You really have to define what you are talking about. So on B here, I have some quotes and I just want to read these from your outline. This is a quote from this guy right here, Mark Water, who kind of helps us understand what it means to be a Jew. Let me read this to you. Being a Jew need not have anything to do with what you believe or what you do, nor does living in Israel make you a Jew. A person born to, a non, to non-Jewish parents who has not undergone the formal process of conversion, but who believes everything that Orthodox Jews believes and observes every law and custom of Judaism is still not a Jew. But a person born to a Jewish mother who is an atheist and never practices the Jewish religion is still a Jew. So do you see how this can become confusing really quickly? So you have someone who is born to a Jewish mother. They believe in everything that has to do with the religion of Judaism. They are a Jew both by their birth and by their religion. You have this same person, this same mother has another child. They become an atheist. They're still a Jew. All right, because of who they were born to. Even though they have completely different belief systems, one holds to the religion of Judaism, other one rejects all religion, holds to atheism, they're both considered Jew. Still yet, you can have someone not born to Jewish parents believe everything that Judaism teaches and practice every law and practice every custom, but if they don't go through the formal process of conversion, they're not a Jew. However, if they go through the formal process of conversion, they are just as much a Jew as the other ones. So when you walk up to someone and, say, and they tell you you're, that they're a Jew, guess what? It doesn't help a whole lot. I mean, it narrows it down some, but you still have to wonder, or still have to ask, what do you mean by that? And when you ask, what do you mean by that? They may t- talk about the fact that they've been born to Jewish parents. They may talk about the fact that they weren't born to Jewish parents, but yet they've converted to Judaism. They may talk about the fact, yeah, I'm a Jew, and, and by the way, I'm an atheist. Whoa, which, it, it kind of throws everything into this confusing mess. And so all of that to say, if you run into someone who claims to be a Jew there's some questions you have to ask to understand what they mean. All right? So in, instead of asking someone, if someone says you're a Jew, or, or somebody says I'm a Jew, maybe one of the questions you need to ask is, well, do you hold to the beliefs of Judaism? That will separate it very quickly into are they talking about nationality or are they talking about religion? You can ask, maybe, did you convert to Judaism or were you born into Judaism? There's some questions you can ask because you have to figure out what they're talking about. Because if someone says that they're a Jew and you start saying, well, I know what Jews believe, and you start communicating all that, you know what? They could be an atheist, they could be a Mormon, they could be a Jehovah's Witness. They could not mean anything religious when they say they're a Jew. They could just be talking about their nationality. So we have to be careful that when we're talking to those who claim to be a Jew, that we understand exactly what they mean. All right, C, there are more than 16 million adherents. There are more than 16 million adherents. All right, D, now hold on, pause here for a second. How does this compare to some of the other ones we've already talked about, size-wise? Smaller, all right, much smaller. We have Islam, remember how many was in Islam? 1.2 billion, all right? And so considerably smaller, but again, 16 million is not a small number. 16 million is still a lot of people. D, the founder of Judaism was Abraham. That's what they would say. They would say the founder of Judaism was Abraham, but they also view Moses and David with that same high regard. So when you hear that someone views Abraham as the founder, what parts of the Bible do you think they will value? Old Testament, all right? Specifically what? The first five, that's right, Glenda, the first five books of the Bible, we'll see that in a minute, they, they really value the first five books, all right? What other religion 
claims to trace back to Abraham. Islam. Islam. Remember how there were three religions who said that they could be traced back to Islam. What are they? Judaism, Islam, and what? Christianity. All right? These are termed, remember the term um, Abrahamic faiths in that they can be traced back in some way to Abraham? So understanding this, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, are those similar? Not In one way they are, in that they're monotheistic, but do they believe the same thing? No, not at all, but yet they, seem to have the, they claim to have the same founder. So what are you going to say to someone who comes up to you and you tell them you're a Christian and they tell you that they're, they hold to Judaism or they hold to Islam, and when you hear that, the next thing they say is, well, we worship the same God because we all worship the God of Abraham. Because Islam claims to worship the God of Abraham, Those who hold to Judaism claim to worship the God of Abraham. And do we claim to worship the God of Abraham? We all worship the God of Abraham. What are you going to say to someone who says, we all worship the same God? How do you respond? That's the correct answer. Do you all hear? What do you think about Jesus? Or what do you believe about Jesus? 1 John teaches us that if you deny the Son, you also deny the Father. That you cannot have faith through the Father while rejecting the Son. So the question really does come back to what do you believe about the person of Jesus Christ? And this is where the directions, the paths of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity differ immensely. All right, we already know about Islam. Let's learn more about Judaism. E, their main writings are the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, and what is known as the Talmud. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the Talmud in a few minutes. The Talmud is a huge collections of laws and ceremonies and rituals and clean, cleansings written in about the, the 8th century by all kinds of Jewish priests and rabbis and religious leaders. And so when you're talking with a Jew and you say, what is your holy book? They'll say the, first, the, the Bible, the, specifically the first five books, the books of the law, But then they also have the Talmud, which is another collection of laws that they strive to follow as well. F, the Ten Commandments are the core of Jewish life. The Ten Commandments are the core of Jewish life. Now, from those Ten Commandments flow all the other laws and all of the other ceremonies and rituals and purification processes and sacrifices. From those Ten Commandments flow those other total 613 laws and commands that they strive to keep. And even beyond that, 613 is what is contained in Scripture. There, in the Talmud, there's hundreds of more laws and commands. How would you like to live that life? Let's say you have 600 laws you have to obey tomorrow. How are you going to do? Shooting for 25%. Say what? Stay home. I'm not even leaving. You'd still break them. That's the life of, of Judaism. Now, the other confusing thing about Judaism, like with any denomination or any, excuse me, any major world religion, is that underneath the umbrella of Judaism, there are several specific groups And in some world religions, those specific groups, there's not a whole lot of difference. But when you come to Judaism, there's some pretty significant differences. And so what I want to do is walk through the four main branches of Judaism. Now, if you ever watch the news and they are interviewing someone, um, especially like on on world news, if they're ever interviewing someone who holds the Judaism, they will always specify what branch of Judaism that they belong to, because it is a big deal to those who hold to Judaism to communicate what aspect of Judaism they pursue, because again, the differences are, are significant. So what are the four branches? Here's number one, Orthodox. Ever heard of Orthodox Jews? All right, this is perhaps the, the most well-known. A, underneath that, this is the oldest and most conservative form of Judaism. It's the oldest and most conservative form of Judaism. The vast majority of people, especially early on, if you were to talk to and say, what what branch of Judaism do you hold to, do you you belong to? Most of them are going to say, I'm Orthodox. 
And especially if you go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, you go to some of these, these countries where Judaism is, is a, a main religion, Orthodox Judaism is the primary branch that people hold to. B, they attempt to remain as close as possible to the re- original form of their religion. So they go back and they look at the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, the books of the law, books of Moses, however you want to term it. And they look at those first five books and they say, that is the kind of Judaism we want to follow. We want our Judaism, we want our religion to be as close as possible to this, this Old Testament religion. And so they strive to keep it that way. C, they are rigorous about ritual observances, dietary laws, and keeping the Sabbath. So these laws that they claim to hold to or, or they that are taught in Scripture, they're, they're going to obey them. You will never find a Jew going to a worship event on Sunday. Why? They worship on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And if you are confused about what the Sabbath is, you should have been here last Wednesday. We answered all those questions. All right? Um, all the dietary, dietary restrictions, they, they abide by those. All of these rituals and observations. It is at the core of their faith. They, they look at it and say, if we are going to be faithful to Judaism, we have to maintain these practices. All right? D, they believe that Scripture is absolute because it is the unchanging Word of God. They say that it cannot evolve. Now, you may wonder why do they stress that and what you're going to see in some of these other branches is that these other branches do not hold to that view of scripture just a little bit of a rabbit trail here for a second when you're when you come to the topic of God's word you come to the issue of interpretation you're reading a passage and you say how do we know how to interpret this passage and there's two different ways of viewing this that also applies to how people today read our constitution, our, our, our national constitution. There is a way of reading it that says we hold that we are to interpret this in light of a, a original intent, or you can view it and say, no, this is a living and breathing document. And so when you come to scripture, you have two different groups, general groups of interpretive thought One group says, when we go to Scripture, our job as people who are striving to understand Scripture and apply Scripture is that we are to go to God's Word, and what we are trying to do is to understand it in light of what the authors originally meant. We we, we care about the original intent. There's another group who says, no, we don't care about original intent. It can be adapted to meet the, 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 the demands of culture and the demands of society. And so you have these two different processes, these two different approaches, these two different mindsets. And and the right one, I'm convinced, the right one is that we are to view Scripture in light of what? Original intent. What were the authors trying to communicate? Now, we, we strive to understand that in light of their context. We strive to apply that in light of our culture and our context. But our job is not to make Scripture fit culture, to make Scripture fit society. That's the temptation is to go to it and say, well, I think this can be interpreted in different ways, and I think this fits better in our society like this. That is the wrong approach. The correct approach is that we go to God's Word and we say, what did the authors mean? What were they trying to communicate? Why were they trying to communicate that? How can we apply that today? Does that make sense? When you get to Judaism, you have the exact same issue. The Orthodox Jews held to this view that said, we believe in original intent. The Word of God is unchanging. The Word of God is infallible. It is inerrant. It is the Word of God. It does not evolve based on the challenges in society and the challenges in culture. When we get to some of these other branches here in a moment, they reject that completely. All right, so that's Orthodox, I suppose. They struggle. The question was, how do they reason out not sacrificing? Because that's one of the things that they have abandoned is, is the animal 
is the, the sacrifices. And so what a lot of them do, and, and Mark Waters in his book touches on this. And I've got some other ones if anybody wants to read on this further. I mean, that's the number one question that we ask. We should ask. Talking with the Orthodox Jew, they have all these rituals and ceremonies and everything, but the one thing that they do not practice today is the animal sacrifices. Why do you think? <laughs> the temple's destroyed is one of the main answers you get. I heard somebody say it's messy. Um, that is also true. Any, any other thoughts? The main re- yes. There is a belief by some that that sacrificial system, excuse me, that sacrificial system will be reestablished at some point. The main answer that you will hear from people is that the sacrificial system is tied to the temple, and since the temple no longer exists, they don't have to practice that now. Now, again, with different groups in different parts of the world, some places it's illegal. That probably contributed to it some. But again, what they've had to do is to adapt their practice based on culture to a certain degree. That's orthodox. When you think of orthodox, what, what, what should come to your mind? The strict adherence of Judaism. They, they want it to look like it looked in Scripture. Number two is the reform group, reform Judaism. A, this form of Judaism stresses the ethical teachings of the prophets. So, I want you to picture the two groups. You have the Orthodox Jews who they don't stress the ethical teachings as much as they stress the letter of the law. We, we got to cross every T and dot every I. All right, we got to do it all exactly the way we see it in Scripture. The reform movement of Judaism says, you know what? It's not about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It's about understanding the ethical teachings. And here's what they'll say. When you look at all of these laws and all of these commands, they stress morality and they stress worshiping one God and they stress doing unto others as you want them to do unto you. They stress all of these these principles. So the Orthodox group says... We're not focused on the principles. We want to obey every command and every law. The reform group of Judaism says, no, it's not about every single command. It's about the principles. It's about the ethical teachings. So just like you, we're going to strive to be moral, and we're going to strive to, through, through obeying perhaps the Ten Commandments, we want this morality and worshiping one God and being kind to others. We, we want these ethical teachings to be evident in our life. Now let me give you B. This is known as the liberal group who allow individuals to decide whether to follow or ignore the dietary laws and traditions. So if Mark and Jason over here were both adherents of Judaism, and they both ascribe to the reform movement within Judaism, you could look at their lives and see two completely different things. Mark may look at the Jewish laws and say, you know what, I like this one and I like this one. Jason may look at it and say, I don't like any of them. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Under the reform movement of Judaism, you have the option. You get to pick what you want. So, so Mark may think, you know what, I really like worshiping on the Sabbath, and so I'm going to stick with that. And Jason may say, you know what, that's not a big a deal. Mark may look at the dietary laws and say, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. Jason may look at the dietary laws and be like, I want some bacon. <laughs> Amen. You have the freedom under, under this reform movement to really decide which of the dietary laws, which of these traditions you hold to, and which of them you ignore. Why do you think the reform group is criticized so much? What do they actually believe? All right, they're still monotheistic, they still strive to be moral. But when you actually try to nail them down on what do you believe, what do you practice, it's completely left up to the individual. This group is growing in Judaism. Why? It's an easy life. 
You basically pick and choose how you want to live. You pick and choose the laws that are easy, the, the commands that are easy, the ceremonies that are easy, the dietary laws that are easy, and you reject everything that you find hard. It creates this atmosphere within Judaism. This group looks over at the reform group and says, you're legalistic. You're, just, you're obeying every law and you're, you're doing every little thing that's crazy. The Orthodox group looks back over there and says, you're just making it up as you go. You really don't believe anything. You don't have any set practices. These two groups do not get along, except when Judaism as a whole is attacked, and then there is this common thread that unites them. So you have Orthodox, you have Reform. Number three, you have Conservative. Another group it's called conservative Judaism. Now, it's not orthodox, and it's not reform. A, this is the mainline movement that began in the mid-19th century as a reaction to the reform movement. So here's what happened. You have the orthodox Jews obey everything. You have the reform group that broke off of the orthodox Jewish position, but they didn't have any real set rights and wrongs, do's and do's, do nots, and then you have this group who said, I don't like this and I don't like this. I'm going to land right here. They're reacting. The, the, the reform group reacted to orth, the orthodox group. The conservative group reacted to the reform group. Y'all keeping all this straight? So basically, the orthodox really strict. The reform really liberal. The conservative said, I don't like either one of them. And they're going to kind of do their own thing. Let me give you B. While they obey the Torah, what's the Torah? first five books of the Bible, while they obey the Torah, they claim the right to adapt the interpretation of the traditions as they apply to the modern world. So C, let me read that one more time. While they obey the Torah, they claim the right to adapt the interpretations of the traditions as, as they apply to the modern world. So C, as a result, men and women sit together in synagogue. That's one of the applications. Orthodox Jews, men and women sit on different sides. Any of you ever been in a church where men and women sit on different sides? My grandparents' church still does this. Way up in the mountains of Tennessee. Trade Tennessee. Probably never heard of it. You go walk into their church, and there is still a significant percentage of the congregation. The men sit on one side, and the women sit on the other. Say so what? A lot of the Mennonites do that. So this Sunday, let's see how this, I'm just kidding. This group, Orthodox Judaism, says men and women don't sit together and worship. The, ref the, the, the liberal group, the reform group, says, eh, whatever. This group says, well, we want to obey the laws and the traditions, but times are changing. And so we're going to strive to obey that, but we're going to obey that and let our practice reflect this adjustment we're making. So we don't agree everything over here. They're too liberal. We don't agree with everything over here. They're too legalistic. We're going to try to be balanced is what they're trying to do. All right? Y'all got all this straight? Taking notes, good. Number four, you have the Reconstructionist group. The Reconstructionist group. Let me give you several things about them. A, this is a new and small liberal movement that started in the 1930s. And if you see someone being interviewed on TV, they will have not just adherent of Judaism, it will say Orthodox Judaism, Reconstructionist, um, Conservative, Reform. It will identify what they hold to. B, they do not believe that the Jewish law is binding at all. So they, so they look at Orthodox Judaism, Conservative Judaism, Reform Judaism, and they're over here by the wall. Because what is at the core of Judaism? The Old Testament law. What do they say? The Old Testament law is not binding. We don't have to do any of that. All right, C. They reject the idea that they are the chosen people. How do you think the other Jews look at them? Disgust. That's a, that's a perfect word. They look at this reconstructionist group way over there and they say, that's disgusting. That, that is not even Judaism. They don't believe what we believe. They don't even believe that we're the chosen people. D, they are 
they are committed to the upbuilding of the land of Israel as the spiritual center of the Jewish people. And these are the ones that always get interviewed, by the way. It really is. It's always the, the people on the fringe that get associated. So you watch the news and you see a reconstructionist being interviewed. And what do we think? Well, that's how all, Jew, that's, that's, that's how all adherents of Judaism are. Well, you know, sometimes they interview some people in Christianity. And we look at them and we're like, they're crazy. That's not Christianity. But they do an interview and what does everybody else in the world think? That's what all Christians are like. That's the way it goes. All right, so again, let me summarize these four positions. Y'all going to be experts on Judaism before we leave. All right, first position, Orthodox Judaism. They want everything to be how it used to be. All right, they obey the laws and the ceremonies and the rituals, and they are strict about it. They dress the way you're supposed to dress. They go to, they go to their, their synagogues. They go to their places of worship, men and women set on different sides. They, they, they are strict. In response to that was the Reformed group. The reform group said, that is way too much work. You can just pick and choose what you want to obey and what you want to do. Now, we still, we still value some of the principles and we value the ethical teachings, but trying to keep every command and every law and every ceremony, that's ridiculous. In response to the reform group, you have the conservative group. The conservative group looked at both and said, that is too rigid, that is too loose. We want to have the ability to obey the Torah, obey the law, but adapt it to our culture and to our society. And so in these churches or in these places of worship, men and women can sit together, husbands and wives can sit together. In response to all of this, this extreme group, the Reconstruction has started, who says, we're not God's chosen people, we don't have to obey the law, it's not binding. And so let me ask you, if you're in the Orthodox camp, what do you think about these other ones? What do you think about the Reconstructionists? Disgusting. We don't want anything to do with them. They're not even, they're not even real. What do you think about the conservative group? Between, again, from here, you have the conservative, then you have the reform. What do you think, about the, what do you think they think about the conservative group? At least they're not Reconstructionists. Right? I mean, at least they value this and they go, they, they value the law and they strive to obey it. What do you think they think about the reform group? Nah, they're not, don't, don't have a lot of respect for them. I mean, at least they value the Torah. At least they think we're God's chosen people. You move over here, you're looking at this conservative group. Now, they're conservative in that they still obey the Torah, but they look back over here at them and they say, You can't keep all those laws anyway. Why are you trying? And then you have the people out in the left field over here. Here's the point. When you walk up to someone and you're talking with them or you're talking with your neighbor and they say, yes, I, I hold to the, or you talk, get talking about religion and it comes up that they believe in Judaism. Do you have enough information yet to know what they believe? Not necessarily. Because if they're over here in this camp, they don't even believe the law is binding. If you're in this camp, you got to do it all. If you're in this camp, just try to be, live a good life and be a good person. If you're in this camp, we're going to try to do it, but we're going to adapt it. Here's what you have to do. You have to find out which branch of Judaism they hold to. Because you go up to this person and, and the Reconstructionist, they say, yeah, I'm, I'm an adherent of Judaism. Oh, really? How is it keeping all those laws? Is that hard? Well, do they keep any of the laws? No. They're going to say, what are you talking about? We don't do that. And so let's say you leave a conversation with a Reconstructionist. You go over here to an Orthodox. So you just threw all those laws out the window, huh? What are they going to say to you? Probably going to get slapped. See, you have to know who you're talking to and what they believe. So it's, it's kind of the same thing under the umbrella of Christianity, right? So you go and you talk to a denomination under the umbrella of Christianity that believes you can lose your salvation, and then you go to someone else and you say, oh, so you can believe you can lose your salvation. No, it, it depends. Question. I have no clue. I'm just being honest. Did anybody know? They're on the news a lot.
The only thing I've heard about this group of Judaism is that they tie in some beliefs from the middle from the Eastern religions, from Buddhism and uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. That mysticism aspect of those, they have merged some aspects of Judaism with some of those more mystic beliefs of some of the Hinduist and Buddhist places. Is that correct? Um, now you know, Amber. Well, they claim to be Jews, and they have the birth. So on one hand, they would say what they hold to is religious. I mean, they want Israel to be the center of, the, the spiritual center of the Jewish people. So th- there is this religious push in the Reconstructionist movement, and they have the nationality, the background. They're, they're they were born to Jewish parents, so if you remember back from the very beginning, that was one of the things that qualifies them as a Jew. But they're not going to say, yeah, we were, we're Jew in that we were born to Jewish parents, but we reject all Judaism. They would just say, we're, just, we're changing Judaism. We, we, it, we're not going to focus on this. We're not going to focus on this. We just want Israel to be the spiritual center of the Jewish people. So they would say, yes, this is spiritual, this is religious, but they're not much about the... Um, yeah, they would say they believe in God. Yeah, there's friction among them. Yeah. What do y'all think? Which type is more prevalent in the U.S. versus Israel? Let me, let me phrase the question a little bit different. Which is most popular in Israel, do you think? Orthodox is most popular in Israel. Which do you think is most popular in the U.S.? It depends on what part of the country you go to. There are places, I I went through a place, my brother lives in Brooklyn, New York. Wonderful place to visit. (laughs) And then go home. Um, Some of you caught that. But they have this whole Jewish community where you walk through and it is orthodox completely. They, they, they dress, but they have all these Jewish businesses and all these Jewish homes, and they all live in this one community, but it's open. You can drive through it. You can shop there, but when you go through it, you have the, I mean, if, I wish I could show you pictures. I have some, but you look at it, and you would think you're in Israel just from how they're dressed and how they're acting. So you go to a place like that that's very almost inclusive. It's going to be orthodox. The ones who claim to hold to, Ju- hold to Judaism but do not necessarily belong to one of those communities, it could be any one of these other three. It could be the conservative. It's probably going to be the reform. The reform is probably the largest in the U.S. If I was guessing, I don't have exact numbers. The, the, the Reconstructionist is the small, fledgling, vocal group. You think there's a lot more of them because you always see them. In reality, it's a very small group who just happens to like microphones. So you see them a lot. I would say the largest in the U.S. is this, is this reform group. Um, but I don't know. But if, yeah, if you go to Israel, you go to some of these communities where there are these pockets of Jews, it's going to be Orthodox. Jason. That's the one thing that they all have in common. If you heard his question, the question was, why do these other three groups not unite with the Reconstructionist in the rebuilding of Israel and the temple and it being kind of the spiritual center? That's the one thing that they all desire to see. They all desire to see that happen. Um, but they just don't agree on what that looks like because they don't want Judaism to turn into that. And if what they mean by making Israel the, center, the spiritual center of um, the Jewish people, if, if these three look at that and say, if what you mean is you want all people to worship like you and live like you, we don't want anything to do with it. So they would say they all have that goal. They would just say it's going to look way different than what they're trying to do. All right? They don't believe they're the chosen people. That's the thing. That, that's kind of the, the divide that has separated them off. And again, even in the Reconstructionist group, you've got different camps. And so it becomes very challenging. Let's get back now to how they 
at our takeaway from the Bible, how they multiply the requirements for salvation and how they um, take away from the fact that Jesus was God. Because this is the crux of the whole matter. All of this other stuff, we need to know this next part. All right? So number two, how does Judaism add or take away from the Bible? Very simply, A, they reject the New Testament completely. The Jews in the Old Testament were looking for a Messiah. Jesus came. What did the Jews say? Not you. They rejected him. In fact, I was reading my Bible reading on Friday, that the passage where they look to the Jews and they say, Jesus came for you, you rejected him, and now we're turning our attention to the Gentiles. It's in the book of Acts, where the Gentile people become the focal point of the gospel. They rejected the Messiah. So if they reject the Messiah, who is Jesus, what are they going to think about the New Testament that is all about Jesus? waste of time. You got this whole part of your Bible that talks about Jesus and claims he was the Messiah. He, we don't think he was the Messiah, so guess what? They don't care about the New Testament. They say you can read it if you want. There may be some good teachings there if you want, but it is ultimately meaningless. B, they add the authority of the Talmud. We already mentioned this. The Talmud is a huge collection of doctrines and laws compiled and written before the 8th century A.D. by ancient Jewish teachers. The Talmud, which often cites the Old Testament, is the basic book of Jewish law. If you see a Jewish child reading, chances are, especially when he's age 8, 9, 10, guess what he's going to be reading? The Talmud. It is the book that they give. It is the book that they learn. It is the book that they strive to obey. And what they would say is that it reiterates and more clearly defines the laws of the Old Testament. All right? And so it is very common to see kids reading the Talmud. Three, how does Judaism multiply the requirements for salvation? A, they would say that salvation is rooted in the keeping of the Ten Commandments. Now, understand this. I... I am referring to, not the Reconstruction is this, I'm referring to the, the mainline group of Judaism. They're all going to say, we've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Even this reform group that strives to obey the moral teachings, they would say the moral teachings are wrapped up in the Ten Commandments. So all of these groups are going to strive to live in obedience to the Ten Commandments, with one exception. What group is the, re, what law is the reform group really not overly concerned with? Anybody know? It's the one law in the Ten Commandments that is not part of the moral law, but it's part of the ceremonial law. The Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath. Now, many of them still will, if they worship, they'll worship on Saturday, but not all of them do. All right? B, they would say salvation is based on the obedience to the Old Testament law. So as we're moving down this line, each group is going to say that there, there's more that you have to do. So salvation is based on keeping the Ten Commandments. Salvation is based on the obedience of the Old Testament law. See, some believe that salvation is rooted in the betterment of society. So we want to go over here to this group. We want to better society. We want to reconstruct and this spiritual center. They would say that that is how they are earning God's favor. What's the problem with all these beliefs? I heard the word I was looking for, works. Somebody said works. Aren't they works-based? Here's what they're saying. We want a relationship with God. We want to spend eternity with God. And the way we do that is by being good. What's the question you would ask them? Good enough. How can you be good enough? I mean, how do you know if you've bettered society enough? And how do you know if you've kept all the laws and the commands? I mean, it leads to this life. To me, it sounds so miserable. Living this life where you never know if you have been good enough. That's why in Christianity, one of the, the, the things that separates Christianity from every other major world religion and every other major belief system on this planet is the fact that your relationship with God is in no way connected to you and how good you have been. It has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. The question is not, have you done enough? The question is, has Christ done enough? And has he? Absolutely. And so place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. He is what John says in John 14, 6, the way 
the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through their good works. Is that what it says? I'll just see if y'all paying attention. Just, just checking. No man comes to the Father except through him, the Son. All right, number four. How does Judaism take away from the fact that Jesus was God? Let me give you four things. A, some view him as an extremist false messiah. You go over here to this Orthodox camp and you ask them, what do you think about Jesus? False messiah. Distracted everybody from what really mattered. A false messiah. B, others view him as a good but martyred Jewish rabbi. They would say, yes, he was... He was fantastic. He wasn't the Messiah, but he was a great rabbi. What does rabbi mean? Teacher. He was a great teacher, and he talked in ways that nobody else could. He definitely had God's hand on him, and he helped propel Judaism forward, and we learned so much through him, through him and he was martyred. C, many don't consider him at all. You go over here to this orthodox camp of Judaism, the largest camp of Judaism, and you ask them about Jesus, they're either going to say that first thing of he is a false messiah, or they're going to say, eh, doesn't matter. He lived a great, maybe a great teacher, but a lot of them are just going to have no consideration for Jesus Christ at all. And then D, they do not accept that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, or that he rose from the dead. They would say that the, the, the idea of the resurrection is nothing but myth. They would say, yes, Jesus, he existed, but he wasn't the Messiah. He was not the Son of God, and he most certainly did not rise from the dead. So right there, if someone comes to you and they say, we do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, we do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, and we do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, what do you know about them? Do they have hope of eternal life with God? Again, 1 John clearly teaches that you cannot have a relationship with the Father while rejecting the Son. And that goes for Baptists, not just adherents of Judaism, right? You cannot have a relationship with God and reject the person of Jesus Christ. That's why it's crucial that we understand what we believe about Jesus Christ. Was Jesus God's Son? How do you know? Where does Scripture say so? In the New Testament. Y'all aren't helping me out a whole lot. So here's the point with all of these questions. If you're going to talk to an adherent of Judaism and you're going to stress to them the importance of Jesus Christ, shouldn't you be able to show them from the Bible that Jesus is God? We should be able to share that. If someone comes up to you and says, Jesus most certainly did not rise from the dead, what do you know? Well, if he didn't rise from the dead, then they don't think he was God. And you say, yes, he did rise from the dead, and they say, how do you know? See, the problem in many Baptist circles is that at that point, we're looking around, oh, I've, I've got to go. We, got, we don't have anything to say. We, we can't give an answer. <laughs> I'll be here for you, Ray. <laughs> he, did you all hear what he said? He said, I'd tell him, let's go see Jeremy. <laughs> Here's the point. What people believe about Jesus matters most. It matters most. And as believers in Jesus Christ, you and I at least need to have a foundational understanding of what we believe about Jesus and I'm sorry, but simply saying I believe this because the Bible says so, but not having any clue where in the Bible or how in the Bible it does say so is not enough. We have to be able to be familiar with what we believe. One, because we want to be able to teach our kids and grandkids. And two, there are going to be people that God brings into our lives that have questions, and they're going to come up. And I've been asked this. I was asked this by a Mormon sitting at Panera. How do you know Jesus is God's son? How many of us could answer that? How many of us could actually go through and say, well, let me show you a few places in the Bible that clearly teaches this. So we need to know why we believe what we believe. One of my fears 
If I can just be transparent with you for a second. One of my fears is that my two boys, Nathan and Jonathan, are going to come to me with questions. And one of my fears is that I may be too busy and I may look at them and say, you know what, it's just what the Bible teaches. What happens when they go to college and they ask a professor, well, why do you believe in Islam? You think the professor is going to say, well, that's just what the Quran teaches? No. See, we have to be grounded, we have to be rooted, we have to be able to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. And it's more, it's not about head knowledge. Listen, knowing stuff is not just about knowing stuff, it's been able to teach and guide and disciple. Our desire as a church and our children's ministry should be not just to teach stories, not just to teach facts, and not even just to teach truths, even though that is crucial. Our goal as a church should be to be able to teach truth, but teach it in a way where our kids are growing up and they know why that is true and they know why they believe it. That's success in children's ministry. So much of children's ministry over the years has been turned about into entertainment. You know what entertainment will do? It'll distract from those things that truly matter. And what we have to do as parents and as grandparents and as a church and say, you know what, we want our kids to have a good time, but we want them to know who Jesus is and we want them to know what the Bible says and we want them to be able to explain why that is indeed true. That should be our goal. Not just for our kids though, for us, right? So let's strive for that. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.